As we finish up offering this morning, I just, I just want to say I am so grateful that we have people who collect the offering, that we have people who process the money and help us stay on track with integrity. I'm grateful that for probably anybody who wants it, that you come in here with a coffee this morning and maybe a cookie or two. I'm grateful for people who are serving right now, ministering to the kids, to the young ones. If you've got kids in nursery or kids ministry, when you leave here, would you thank them for that? When you see them, tell them thank you. I'm grateful that people greeted you this morning. I'm grateful that people were here joining in with the praises from this gifted team that we have. I, I love that this church is a place where everybody belongs, where everybody's got a place. I'm just really grateful for that. So that was not planned. That's just a bonus. Uh, I'm Brad Miller. I'm not Johnny, obviously. Uh, I get to be pastor of missions and discipleship here, and I'm really glad to be here. We're going to continue the timeless series this morning, and we're going to start with trivia. Now, this, this first one, this first one you should be able to track with me. Who was the first president of the United States? Say it loud if you know. Thank you. Thank you. We should have been pretty, pretty good on that answer, right? Now, who, second question, who swore him in? Say it, say it loud. Robert Livingston. It's all right, I didn't know until I looked it up this week either. And then the third and final question, who was Robert Livingston's mom? Yes, Mrs. Livingston, that's good. Her name was Margaret Beekman Livingston. So I, I know you really wanted to know that. I know you really wanted to know. That's kind of how First how Samuel starts out. First Samuel is one of the historical books. And it starts with the story of Hannah, who has this miraculous um, birth. She was barren, and then she prays, and she conceives. And she gives birth to Samuel, who is a prophet, a, a judge prophet of Israel. And then he's the one that sort of swears in. He anoints the first king of Israel. So it's sort of like Robert Livingston's mom. That's where 1 Samuel starts. It's a really obscure thing. There's a lot of cool lessons in it. One of them is like, everybody matters. Everybody's got a place in God's kingdom. It doesn't matter how obscure you might be. Everybody's got a place. But that's not where we're going today. Um, after her son Samuel is born, she's just full of praise to God because she was barren and she has this son. And she sings this song of praise. It lays out some big themes, actually, for the book of 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel both. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Despite human evil, God is at work. And she also talks about in the last line how God will raise up a messianic king. In fact, the stanza says, the last thing of her prayer song says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed one, his king. It's really ironic because remember, at the time that Hannah is living and that she has this son, there is no king in Israel. They're living under this period of the judges. They're in this time when they've been rebellious and they go through these repeated cycles of rebellion and then they repent and then God delivers them, but it, then they rebel again and then they're conquered by people and they just keep going through this hundreds of years in the promised land, not living like God's chosen people very well. Um, 
so there's irony there, but, but take that thought about Hannah's prayer, prayer song about this king and just put a pin in that and hold that off to the side. Hold that off to the side. We're going to go to, to chapter 15. Uh, the big idea today is a classic biblical phrase that says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. To do the right thing is better than an act of worship. To live a life according to God's words is better than some proper religious act. Even if it's the right religious act, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 15 or open your app and get to 1 Samuel 15 with me. We're going to read a bunch of the chapter, though it won't all be in order. I tried to kind of put it together thematically. So in chapter, or chapter 15, verse 2, we start out where Samuel gives Saul, this newly crowned king, he hasn't been king very long yet, gives him this specific instruction from God. He says, thus says, uh-oh, we're not moving. Okay, can you guys advance with me? Will that work? I'm not sure we're on. Did it go? Okay, whoops. There we go, all right, sorry. That was me. That was not them. That was me. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now, that was a long time ago. Now, go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Ugh. That's hard, right? That's a tough place to start out today. Let's talk about the warring God of Israel, right? The God who commands complete destruction of people. Um, it's worth taking just a brief side note. There's a lot that can be said. If you'd like more on this, you can go to the church's website and scroll down to the resources that are available. Each sermon of this Timeless series, there's extra resources. There's an extra podcast. There's a podcast from Joshua where we talked a little bit more about this topic, about the warring God and how that can be difficult. So please use those resources. But just briefly this morning, I just want to remind us, first, that God is just and that he will judge sin. You know, we live in a world that's broken, that's filled with evil, and we often find ourselves questioning, why does this evil exist? Why is evil here? Why, why doesn't God do something about this? If he's good, if he's great, why doesn't he do something? Well, he's just and he will. And I find it interesting that when we see God doing something about evil, when we see him bringing justice, we often have a hard time with it. It's just an interesting contrast that I see in us as humans. When we see him bring justice, we're often like, whoa, that's, that's not cool, God. God shouldn't be like that. That's not loving. But remember, God is just. And often, we, we have to consider, too, along with God being just, is that he is very, very, very patient. And we can be grateful for that, that he does not bring justice on our timetable. Because if he brought justice on our timetable to others, and if he was consistent, that means he would often bring it on us a whole lot quicker than what we would like. So, so just keep those two things in mind. God's just. He's very patient. That's the case with these Amalekites. When Israel came out of Egypt hundreds of years earlier, Israel was just trying to pass through their land. They, weren't, they didn't want to do anything. They were just basically on a hike through their land. And in Deuteronomy, God reminds them again what happened. He says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint 
and weary, and he cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. So this means those who were lagging behind, that's the weak, that's the elderly, that's perhaps the mothers with young children. Amalek came in and his, with his folks, and he picked them off, just wiped them out as he could, like coming in from the back, wiping them out. That's brutal, and he wasn't following God. And so now, hundreds of years later, God's been patient, but he said, Amalek's time up, time's up. Apparently, he hasn't repented. The people of Amalek have not done what's right, and now's the time for justice. And he says, I want you, Saul, to destroy them. Destroy them all. And this was in keeping with the custom of the day. Again, we think this warfare is really awful, but in the custom of the day, there was something called harem, where they destroyed everyone, H-E-R-E-M in English, where they destroyed everyone. They devoted everything to God. Any of the valuable metals that wouldn't burn, that went into their, the national God's treasury. So Israel, God was commanding them to do this thing, eliminate them completely. And part of that, again, on Israel's behalf, was so that they wouldn't be drawn astray from God. God knows if we're around people too much that, uh, let me back up, strike that from your memories. God knew that for the Israelites, if the people were left in the land who were worshiping idols, that they would be tempted to be drawn astray, and he didn't want them to do that. So what happens? In verse 7, it says that Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, and he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword, right? But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. And all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So they killed all the people but the king and they killed all the worthless animals, but they kept the valuable animals. Now, you and I know right off the bat, like, okay, they didn't do what they were supposed to do, right? And it's interesting, what they had mercy on was the valuable animals. They didn't have mercy on, like, the babies or the little kids. Um, So Samuel comes to Saul, and Saul says to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the command of God. No, you haven't. He says, I've carried it out. I've done it. And verse 14, this is classic biblical line again, where Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? This is like the first time we we hear the the hint of the song, Do you hear what I hear? But it wasn't a Christmas song. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? What's the livestock sound? If you devoted everything to destruction, there should be no livestock sound right now. And Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of God, he has also rejected you from being king over Israel. Rebellion, not obeying, is a big deal. When God says one thing and we do something different, that's a big deal. We're consulting the little wizard of our own wisdom 
We're, we're saying, okay, God, I know this is what you said, but I'm going to do something a little different. That's basically setting ourselves up as bigger than God. We know more. God, you said this. I'm going to do that. Rebellion is a big deal. Disobedience is a big deal. So here's the first thing I want us to consider today. When it comes to obedience, God wants 100%. King Agag was the only human being left alive from the Amalekites. The only one. But that's not 100%. And they didn't kill all the livestock and devote that to God, to destruction. They didn't do 100%. You know, partial obedience is not obedience at all. Somebody taught us this when we were raising our girls. They talked about the 10% rule. And they used the example of, you know, if you have a one-year-old sitting in a high chair and they want to stand up, they want to get out of the seat and stand up in the high chair, it's not safe, right? So you tell your kid to sit down. Tell them, stay in your seat. Well, they get up again, so you have to correct them because they're not obeying. And you tell them to stay seated. And they get up again, and they're cute, but, you know, they just keep disobeying. And, and eventually they're starting to get the point, okay, this correction thing is not fun. It's not going well for me. Mom and dad keep correcting me. And eventually they get to a point, and again, you may have a different example, but if you've parented, you know what I'm talking about, where the kid looks at you and you've told them, stay in your seat. And they go like this. They, they put their hands on the arms of the seat and they go, and just, they, just, they just push up ever so slightly. Like, it's just this little, I'm just going to disobey like 10%. That's all. Just it's still disobedience. If it's not 100%, it's not obedience. To all of you who are followers of Christ today, is there something you're neglecting in your obedience to God? Is there something that you're leaving out right now Is there any sin that you continue indulging that you know God's called you to stop? You know he said, don't do that anymore, either from his word or from his spirit's work in your life. Is there any voice in your conscience which you've turned a deaf ear to? Let Samuel's voice to Saul be God's voice to you today. To obey is better than sacrifice. He's urging you towards this next step in obedience. Give up that sin. Take that next step, whatever it is. Because you can come here and do all of this and go through the motions. But if you're not obeying, it's not really what God wants. If he's calling you to baptism, if he's calling you to begin giving, if he's calling you to give more than what you were, if he's calling you to begin serving or to be in a small group, or or if he's calling you to love that neighbor... If he's calling you to show kindness in your household, when maybe kindness isn't what's deserved, but it's what's needed. If he's calling you to do that and you're not, you're resisting, God wants 100% from you. 100%. To obey is better than sacrifice. But remember, it's not just God requiring 100%. It's that God desires, oh, sorry, I missed that scripture. Where's that come in? If you love me, you will keep my commands. Again, that's Jesus saying the same content in the New Testament. If you love me, keep my commands. What's the corollary of that mean? 
if you're not keeping my commands and you're not loving me very well. Okay, the second piece, sorry, we'll just get to this. The second piece is that God desires substance over style. So back to Samuel's question. Saul, if you obeyed, what are these barnyard sounds that I'm hearing? Saul says, they've brought these animals from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep. Wait, who's king here? Saul is king. But he says, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to your God, Samuel. And the rest we've devoted to destruction. Ah, I see. I, I start to understand now. It's the people's fault that this happened. It's not Saul's fault, right? He likes to blame other people. <clears throat> In verse 19, then why not did you obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Again, wasn't 100%, so it's evil. And Saul says to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And then he turns right around and he says, and I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. He wasn't supposed to bring Agag. That wasn't obedience. He thinks it is, but it wasn't. He's self-deceiving. But the people took the spoil. The people did this. The people took the sheep and oxen. The people brought the best of the things devoted to destruction, and they were going to sacrifice to the Lord your God, Samuel. They're going to sacrifice to your God. Saul's thinking it's okay to do different. The, the ends justify the means is what Saul is talking about here. And it's all connected to his image. In fact, that morning, before Samuel had even gone to confront the king about this, it says, Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told to Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. He set up a monument for himself. Look, people, here, here's a statue of me. We see more and more Saul is just concerned about this image. He's concerned about style. He's concerned about looking good to the people. The people wanted to do this, so I said okay, even though God said to do something else. <clears throat> and Samuel says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Saul views himself as little. We know from the biblical record Saul was actually like a head taller like, again, that's like me standing next to Charlie Richmond. I, he's like a head taller, easily a head taller than anybody else. Saul views himself as little, though. In reality, he's very tall. He's very big. And it says that there's no equal found among Israel when he was anointed. He was a strapping young man. He was a big guy, a good guy. And yet he has this low self-esteem. He has this need to prove himself. He's got to put on a show. He's got to make people think a certain way about him. Have an image. And then we see at the end of the chapter, he sort of repents, but his repentance doesn't ring true to us. Saul says to Samuel, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So again, he's already again, he's repenting, but he's blaming people. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And then later in verse 30, he says, I have sinned, yet honor me now. So hear that. Saul says, I've sinned, but honor me, Samuel, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So even in his repentance, he's like, but, but don't let anybody know. Don't, don't tell anybody I did wrong. Honor me in this. Keep my image up, guys. 
Come on, keep my image up. He wanted a good reputation. God desires substance over style. He doesn't want a cup or a vessel that's clean on the outside, but it's dirty on the inside. He doesn't want hollow hypocrisy. God is not as concerned with appearances as what we are. And it's funny because even though Samuel's the one that is the prophet judge at this point still and Saul's this first king, Samuel still doesn't get it. Because in the very next chapter, when Samuel is called by God to go anoint the next king to replace Saul, King David, we all know King David, when he goes to anoint King David to, to begin that process of David becoming king, Samuel is standing before the first of Jesse's sons and he's like, oh, surely this one, based on looks, based on image, based on the outward, Samuel's like, oh, surely this one will be king. And again, that famous line from God, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God values the substance of our hearts much more than the style of our outward appearance. Coming here, going through the motions, singing songs, giving money when the offering's passed, serving, dressing in a certain way, fitting in. If it's all done just to put on a show, if it's all done just to fit in, just to perpetuate your image, it's gross. It's actually sin. I want to ask, parents, grandparents, do we send the wrong message to our kids? If, if what we consistently commend our kids for is their sports performance, their musical ability, their test scores, their, oh man, did you, listen, let me tell you how well my child did on the SAT. If that's what you consistently talk about, and again, there's nothing wrong with being happy about good things like that. I don't want you, any of you to feel like, oh, no, we don't want to be happy about those things. No, that's good. But if that's what you as young people consistently hear from us, parents, grandparents, church family, we are sending the wrong message. You can tell when a little one does something and the parents are like, oh, that's cute. That little one will keep doing that. That little one will repeat that behavior. We've all seen that. As we grow up, if we keep rewarding behavior that is just external, it's not what God wants. If your life isn't about obeying God most, about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, then you're just a noisy gong. You're a clanging cymbal. You're full of hollow hypocrisy, and it's gross. Followers of Jesus, we need to be different than that. God wants more than that for us. I'm convinced, honestly, that this is one of the greatest hindrances to the spread of the gospel in our communities, is that people see us as fake. They see us as phony. They see us as more concerned about the outward image and about the behavior than about loving Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we're phony and we try to tell people about Jesus, they can smell it. Our kids can smell it. I, we can smell it. It's gross when people are like that. May our character always exceed our conformance to the rules, 
even our competency. Scott Sauls, a pastor in Tennessee, has shared a prayer that he regularly prays. He calls it the leader's prayer, but I think it's good for all of us. He says, grant me character greater than my gifts and humility greater than my influence. Grant me character greater than my gifts and humility greater than my influence. When it comes to obedience, God wants 100%. And God desires substance, the real stuff, over the style, the externals. But now let's back out from some of those specific narratives of this story and keep in mind that when it comes to obedience, no one is 100%. No one is 100%. God wants 100%. And no one is 100%. Throughout these 12 history books that we'll be in, the Bible is brutally honest about the flaws of everyone. From God's chosen people, the Israelites, to those who were outsiders, who were not God's chosen people. From the good kings to the bad kings, from Saul to David. Saul was so disobedient that God rejected him in his role as king. Even David, the hero king who will come after Saul, the king who slayed the giant Goliath, his flaws, his weaknesses, his sins are displayed brutally with brutal honesty in Scripture. In the next book of Samuel in chapter 7, so 2 Samuel chapter 7, it's written about David, though. When you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish his kingdom. That's normal for a king, right? He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. Forever. An eternal kingship. Remember Hannah, all the way back at the beginning? Remember that pin we put in where she prays about God's anointed coming, about this king coming? And Israel didn't even have a king. And then to, to Israel's second king, David, God says, I'll establish your kingship forever through your offspring. Despite all of these failings, there was a coming king who would be a mediator between God and man. When God requires 100% obedience, God requires perfection. And he wants you to obey. And pursuing obedience is good. And yet we have to recognize not one of us is 100%. No one can be 100% in their obedience to God. So he sent a mediator the King, Jesus Christ. He came, he lived his 100% perfect life as the God-man. Lived that 100% perfect life so that his 100% by our faith in him could be put to our account. That's the only way we can do this. That's the only way. Paul wrote hundreds of years later, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Holly, would you come on out? If you're a believer here, work on your obedience. God wants 100%. God wants 100% from you. Work on your obedience. Whatever he's nudging you to, all in, all in. 
But remember, he wants substance over style. Work on the heart. Work on the inward part. Let God renew that. So, so where you see yourself falling short in that 100%, let that be what drives you to him and say, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you. Help me to do better. But thank you that I know, that I know, that I know that you cover my 100%. That's cause for worship. That's cause for rejoicing. Be authentic about your failings. Don't make it stink in here. <laughs> Don't cover it up. Don't make it so bad that everybody smells the phoniness. Be honest about your failings. David was, and it's part of why we love David. We'll see that next week, I'm guessing. Where you see your 100%, confess that, repent of it, and let that drive you to the grace of the eternal King who is established forever, Jesus Christ. We all come to him the same way. We've got nothing to offer. He calls us to obedience. We can't make it, but he provides what we need. He provides what we need. As Holly leads us in this next song, let it call you to that next step of obedience to Jesus. There'll be folks to pray with you at the cross if you want to. Let it lead you to that next step.